Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. All right, well, here we go with another episode where we meet prominent accessibility practitioners. And today I am pleased to be speaking with Sambhavi Chandrasekhar. Hello, Sam, how are you doing today? I'm well, thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, it's great to uh, have you uh, here to uh, chat about the things that have gone on in your career. Uh, but uh, before we do that, uh, I, I'm speaking from my home office on Vashon Island, which is near uh, Seattle, Washington. Where are you talking to us from today? Oh, I live in Toronto, Eastern Time Zone, three hours ahead of you. Well, a good place to always start is, uh, you know, what you're up to right now, the organization you're involved with, and uh, the nature of your work. Okay, so I'm the accessibility lead at um, an education technology company called D2L Corporation. And um, my role is to make sure that our products are accessible, to put it in a very simple way, but it, it's way beyond that. Yeah, I always like to joke that the accessibility bug stops at me, but, or stops with me. And uh, what what's uh, a typical uh, day or, or or week like for your work in that activity? It's it's a flurry of um, tasks of a variety of types. Like it's not just about the product, right? It's also about support. It's about sales, marketing, uh, legal, everything under the umbrella, and uh, about culture and uh, everything. <laughs> Well, we can uh, dig more into the specifics of that, but uh, you know, a good place that I always like to start is where uh, people first uh, became uh, aware of accessibility, how that impacted uh, their life in different ways, and 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 the journey that brought you to what you're doing today. So, uh, what's a good place to start for you, where you started to uh, uh, experience accessibility? Let's start at the very beginning. Okay, the very beginning of my journey out of my country, uh, that was 17 years ago uh, when I left India to study further, go back to school after 27 years in the central bank of the country called the Reserve Bank of India. I was a hardcore IT professional doing IT projects and also doing corporate training in IT. Um, I had a science background even in my studies. Uh, I did a master's in quantum mechanics from the Indian Institute of Technology or IIT. And after all that, I also taught for one, for one year in a master's program in banking technology management. And that's when uh, the PhD bug bit me and I wanted to do a PhD. And uh, as a precursor, I did a master's for one year in London UK um, in UCL, University College London. 
because I believed that after 27 years, like it's good to go back to school, gather your elements and then find your, um, find a good spot that you can do your PhD rather than just go there directly. And UK was a good place because uh, you have one year masters. So my journey essentially began there. And 17 years later, I'm here talking with you. But um, I, I do believe that in talking about my journey, I have to talk about three things. The people that I met along the way that transformed me, the places that I went through that afforded me all the opportunity and uh, the perspectives that got changed all along the way. And I hope that I'll be able to introduce you to some of the people to talk about uh, some of the places that I've been through and uh, what type of perspective changes actually twisted and turned my journey in accessibility to bring me where I am here today. Well, I, uh, where would you like to start? You've certainly done a lot of uh, uh, different aspects in, in your career. Um, you've been involved with the uh, the work through the, the World Wide Web Consortium and also uh, with the IAAP uh, as uh, a certified practitioner uh, through that organization. Uh, what are some of the, where would you like to start uh, chatting about your experience? I, I prefer to chat about things that are not on LinkedIn. All right. That people can read about. Not okay. even about, not even about how to do stuff how to do accessibility or how to, you know, debating between uh, conformance and compassion or whether standards are, I, no, 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 none of that, none of that. What I'm really longing to do is to go back in the memory lane and then try to trace through these 17 years, what is it that actually influenced me, inspired me and transformed me along the journey to be what I am today. And uh, I'll frequently go back to people, places, and perspectives, because I think those three are key in any journey, not only an accessibility journey. So going back to UCL, where I did my master's for one year, it was in human-computer interaction, because having done IT for that long, I didn't want to do a PhD in computer science and I was interested in psychology. So I chose to do a master's in human computer interaction and University College London, um, the UCLIC uh, is an amazing place. And um, I do remember uh, all the teaching. It was the very first time for me after a long time uh, to learn, first of all, and to learn in a different system altogether, although not too different because Britain and India, well, we, we do have some connections, but what was very different, what started my accessibility journey in UCL was the fact that I did my project uh, with students who are blind. Like my project was about accessibility and usability, where is the dividing line? That was the project, but it was not theoretical. I did um, some studies with uh, some students uh, who were blind. And with that data, I tried to distinguish between 
accessibility and usability with respect to, you know, those days, uh, it was WCAG 2.1, WCAG, sorry, 1.0 ruling and WCAG 2.0 was struggling to come out. And it, it took a long time because they introduced cognitive disabilities. They made it go beyond machine recognizable accessibility. And so that's why that question was very interesting. But the reason why I took that up was because of a colleague of mine in the Reserve Bank of India. His name is Harish Kodian. Um, he was the first blind programmer in India. And he served the RBI in the IT department. He moderated a huge 3,000 strong um, mailing list called Access India, which was all about blindness and IT. He recently retired and we still are in touch. It was him, it was he who inspired me to start working on this area called accessibility. Because before that, like I had no idea, no clue. So that was the starting point and Harish was the person who inspired me and UCL gave me all the opportunity to work on that. But as you know, as soon as I joined my master's, I had to apply for my PhD, right? So I started applying and when I applied to University of Toronto uh, in Canada, I, I discovered the second person that influenced my life that is Yuta Trevoranis. Uh, Yuta is the director of an organization called the Inclusive Design Research Center in Toronto. And she's also a full-time professor at the OCAD University. And she has been my mentor since 2005 till day. And anything I know about inclusive design is from Yuta. I, I am ever so grateful to her. And so at U of T, like I moved from UCL to U of T, and at U of T, I took on a PhD in information systems because I was in the iSchool, because I Utah's uh, unit called the Adaptive Technology Research, Cent Research Center was housed inside the iSchool. So I did a PhD in information or information systems, whatever you may call it. But actually it was about how people who are blind or vision impaired assess the credibility of information online. Effectively, it was about, it was a study with 66 people using screen readers. And it was an amazing PhD, five years. I thoroughly enjoyed, I thoroughly enjoyed the learning and all the research and all the research projects that I did with Utah because I was completely, um, uh, totally working with her as well as a student uh, research assistant, plus doing my PhD. And soon after I got into a postdoc because I got a fellowship. It's The program is called MITAX. It's a Canadian funding agency. So I had a two year elevate PhD uh, postdoc with MITAX. Even there, I did um, a study on handheld devices and navigation for people who are blind. So the research was all through about people who are blind and um, all the academic opportunities. I, I really enjoy when I think back about the conferences, the papers and everything, plus the nonprofit projects that I have done. Well, uh, then came, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you definitely uh, were fortunate to uh, 
you know, find your way uh, so early on in the academic portion. Um, yeah, I think that's a time when, you know, people, you know, first do become aware of it and start thinking about it. Um, but it, you know, it can be hard to, you know, find the mentors that, you, you know, you were fortunate to uh, run yeah. into and be able to have guidance, you know, early on so that, you, you know, you can be doing such substantive uh, work early on. So, so it sounds like uh, you're fortunate to uh, have those mentors, but uh, was, were you uh, also actively, uh, you know, looking for those people uh, early on? Were you able to find them or was it just kind of a, a serendipity of, of life yeah. that had happened? I was exactly ready with that world. It was totally serendipitous that I found Utah. In fact, I finished doing the application for the mechanical and industrial engineering department at UT because that's where the HCI PhD is. And then I came across her website and then I tore that application and I applied to the iSchool. And I was always an outsider in the iSchool because it was a library science department, bless my soul. But um, I had the best of experiences there. So UC, U of T gave me a, an amazing place to progress um, my practice of accessibility, I should say, and strengthen it uh, very much academically. Uh, very interestingly, during my PhD, I would always say I'll never teach because I had this uh, dream about um, entrepreneurship. I had created a domain and a website called Sahai IT, and I thought that's all you need to make a company. When I finished studying, I'm going to uh, become an entrepreneur, but um, Utah went on to another university called OCAD University. It's a design university, and she started a master's program in inclusive design. Because I had grown with her imbibing all her inclusive design principles, she started the master's program, and she had me start teaching in that. And for the next five years, I taught in that program. That was the best time of my life, I should say, because every cohort was as diverse as possible. They were at least um, in a class of 20, at least 10 people would have a disability. And Utah had the best infrastructure, what is currently called as the high flex or hybrid flexible, the most up-to-date technology, the most um, like well-structured UDL practices without realizing they were those by name. I actually taught for five years. And while teaching at OCAD University is where I met the third person who um, actually changed my perspective about stuff or about accessibility. Because through Utah, I had become introduced to inclusive design and the fact that Inclusive design is about designing with people with disabilities and uh, disabilities a design mismatch and accessibility is about, you know, removing that mismatch, meeting the needs and all those kinds of ideas. But how do you practice that? How do you actually do accessibility, right? So two of my students actually, one of them is called Alvar and the other one is Abid. They graduated and they started a company the company is called Fable Tech Labs. And it is, I think, the just about the only company even now 
after four years in the world to do what they are doing, which is offer to the industry a way of recruiting people with disabilities to do every aspect of a product design, starting from research to prototype testing, to QA during development, to triaging for support, everything. It's as easy as just going on the website and saying, hey, I want two people, one using voiceover on a Mac and one using a voiceover on iPhone and two people using NVDA and one person using Zoom text and Dragon and name it. And you will, you will get to either meet them and do your um, conversation and testing, or you can test, set up the tests online. And the whole process became so simple that it's very easy to practice doing accessibility with people with disabilities. <clears throat> so the perspective change that Alvar and Abid brought about in me is that to do accessibility, you need to involve people with disabilities from the beginning to the end. Conformance with standards, compliance with regulations happen on the way. Because I hate this concept of testing pages after pages after pages. I'm someone who believes in workflows. What is the task in hand? If your pages allow a way to go through and click complete the task, don't worry about the surrounding things, even if they are not fully accessible. The person's able to complete the task, which is more important. I don't mean to say that it's okay to have inaccessible pages, but just by spending all your energy on testing pages completely with, I don't know, automated tools, it doesn't really serve the purpose. You have to stop me on the way. Uh, Otherwise, I will keep going on. All right. Well, I, yeah, I don't like to interrupt because it is interesting to hear uh, your story. But yeah, it's certainly, uh, you know, uh, Fable is a, is a very interesting progressive organization, and 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 that does bring up, uh, you know, any an example of of where there's the shift left mentality, which mm -hmm. you know moves mm -hmm. moves yeah. us beyond remediation <laughs> and testing and and maintenance after development is completed, and and moving us toward foundational research, uh, having <clears throat> having participants with physical challenges involved in 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 early testing of of wireframes and the other things that we do in our design uh in our in our design activities and uh so yeah so i totally uh, you know agree with your 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 thoughts about uh you know truly really having an inclusive approach to uh, how we come up with solutions yeah because inclusion actually is about being mindful of diversity equity and accessibility right idea that acronym is being used by a number of people today inclusion, diversity, equity, accessibility, because human beings are diverse, right? So they have different needs. So that's diversity. But you can't give everybody the same thing. That's equality, but it doesn't work. You have to give each one what they need so that we get equal outcomes. It's not about providing equal resources. 
it's about enabling equal outcomes and that's equity. And how do you do that? You do that through accessibility. So the practice of accessibility, we, we preach you have to include people with disabilities. Why? Because A, that's very important for inclusion. And B, if you design for people with disabilities, automatically you cover people, other people having constraints that are not because of a disability, but because of situational or contextual reasons. You might remember Microsoft and their famous um, persona spectrum, but essentially the impact of designing with people with disabilities is much larger. In fact, recently there was another perspective change that happened, but uh, it was when I was presenting in um, a forum called the Digital Disability and Dance, and my presentation was about how to teach dance inclusively. And that's when I came across this, this thought that it's not enough to say disability is about a mismatch between uh, the person's needs and the environment. You go beyond that and look at disability as a, a resource, as a resource for innovation, as a resource for creativity, right? So that's where we need to go. That's how our perspectives need to change. And I am ever so grateful to where I work now uh, for the amazingly inclusive culture that's present, the passion of the company that aligns with my passion, because it's one thing, it's the first important thing is to work for a place that has a purpose. And then the second important thing is that your purpose aligns with that purpose. If that happens, then you're in heaven. And being able to do, being able to practice all that you dream about accessibility, if someplace allows you that, then that place is really helping you transform. Well, you, 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 uh, that would be a, you know, a good place to maybe dig into that a little bit. You had such a, you know, a, a long uh, career in, in academia and teaching and continue to be involved in that um, but now you you know you have this opportunity to um, you know as you said uh, you know get out and make some uh, practical uh, uh, improvements so, so what what's that work been like what are some of the things you're passionate about or the activities that you get involved with for that well uh, when you get out of um, nonprofit and academia and get into the industry, uh, there are certain paradigm shifts that happen in your surroundings, not in you, but what is valued is different, right? The goals are different. The, the priorities are different. So the same kind of strategies don't work. But, the, but if you keep remaining focused on outcomes, everything is magic, right? Even here, if your outcome is that the end user has a good experience, right? That is going to serve the purpose of the company. And then you are meeting some of the goals of the company. That means you're a success in the industry, right? So keeping focus on the outcomes is I think key to everything. Plus I must consider myself, I mean, I do consider myself privileged because 
in some organizations, you will have this very high barrier of attitudes and culture that you have to overcome, which was not there in my case. So it was much easier to try to practice doing well by doing good. Well, uh, you know, looking uh, looking forward to the, the future, are there any uh, certain things that you're looking forward to working on or, or uh, you know, another way of considering <laughs> it? Are there any things that you think uh, we as accessibility practitioners need to uh, be paying more attention to looking toward the future? So kind of what's your outlook as we move <laughs> forward from today about, about things? Okay, this is my personal story. So I'll also conclude on a personal note. Um, in North America, we are privileged, right? We are in a privileged position with respect to knowing about accessibility, with respect to practicing accessibility and making an impact on those who need that assistance. But this is not the case globally. I come from India and I know of several places around the globe where the knowledge about accessibility is lacking and lacking in the sense people with disabilities do not know that they can demand and get accessibility done. So what I dream of is to, to reverse what I went through. Like I met people who inspired me and mentored me. So I, I am in that club of Lainey Feingold. I'm sure you know the a lawyer famous for her structured uh, negotiation. So she believes in this concept called accessibility eldering. And I am also an accessibility elder. What I dream of is to be among the people who inspire and mentor the next generation to get into organizations and transform the places and try to change perspectives globally about what disability is, what accessibility is, and how the world should be. Well, I, that's uh, you know uh, definitely uh, something that I think should uh, motivate all of us. And so, uh, you know, I want to thank you for uh, you know giving us a little bit of an insight into the people that have uh, kind of made your life uh, uh, move in this uh, direction. Who have uh, and. Uh, the things that you're looking forward to in the future. So uh, thanks for taking the time to uh, share your experiences with me. Thank you, Joe. It was a pleasure. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky. And as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. 
our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design, we can move existing designs to development in a sprint. And maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X.com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.